Good morning, Cross Point Fellowship. That was a little weak, but we'll go. That's it, that's it. Uh, this morning is a day that God created. I want you to always, always remember that. We're not here for any other reason other than to glorify God in what we do. So this morning, we're going to be praying for another fellowship, and I had planned to do one thing, and God changed my mind through a little bird in our fellowship that came up and said, I want you to pray for this. So um, Covenant Fellowship is a church just up the road, one way or the other. I'm not sure where they are. Um, but they actually talked to Emily. Somebody talked to Emily this week and said, we know that Cross Point prays for other fellowships every week. Folks, that's a great thing to be known by. Amen. I mean, it is. So they said, would you please pray for our fellowship? It's Covenant Fellowship. Todd Barnes is the pastor. And they're looking for a youth director. So we're going to be praying for them this morning. And then this morning, other than praying for a specific unreached people group, as we have been doing for a long time now, I want us to be praying for the nations. The nations. The Joshua Project lists 17,000. 433 people groups in the world and of those 7,418 are unreached people groups you see all the little red spots on that world map those are unreached people groups it gives you an idea of the number of people in our world that do not know who Jesus is so we're praying for them we're going to be praying for our time this morning as we continue our study in the epistle of 1 John chapter 5 so please join me as we pray for these things this morning. Fathers, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your presence in this place. And we're reminded, Father, that you are here not because of who we are, but because of your love for us. You reveal yourself to us. You draw us close to you. Father, we thank you for that. Father, I pray this morning for Covenant Fellowship here in town, Pastor Todd Barnes. And that fellowship is looking for a youth director. We know what that situation is because the last, it's been less than a year, but we've been searching for a pastor. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing of bringing the Carlson family to our lives. They're here today. We're so thankful to you, Father, for what you've done in that. So Father, we pray for Covenant Fellowship this morning. Father, we also pray for the nations of 7,418 unreached people groups. 42.6% of the people groups of the world do not know who you are, may not have even heard your name. So, Father, we pray for the nations today that you would send workers to preach to these unreached people groups so that at least one in every people group would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have a life-changing experience in asking Jesus to be their Lord. Father, I also pray this morning for our time as we continue our study in this epistle of 1 John. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus and it's in his name I pray these things. Amen. And we've got one more item of, of prayer this morning that we're going to do very specifically. We're going to ask the Stevens family to come forward. Stephen is going to be headed back to Houston tomorrow. So they've asked that we pray for them. So Mark's coming up also. 
And we're going to pray some very specific things that Seth has asked us to pray for for them as Stephen heads back to family. So they're coming up. Hi. Come on over. So we love this family and we're going to be praying for them. So join us in prayer. Father, we pray for the Stevens family this morning. Father, we pray specifically for Stephen as he transitions back to Houston to family members there. Father, we pray that this transition would be smooth, that his new environment um, will be sweet to him and he doesn't experience any anxieties due to this move. Father, we pray that you help him learn to be trusting of those who are caring for him. Father, we pray that this move will be a great thing for Stephen and a home that he can remain in for the rest of his childhood. Father, we pray for his safety and his security and that he will come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and that you will draw him to Jesus. Father, we love this family. We love Stephen. And we pray your very best for him. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Now, Mark, uh, we have a little gift bag we want to Send with Stephen as he heads to Houston. So we're going to continue to pray for you guys. We love y'all. Sweet. Now, this morning, we are nearing the end of the epistle of 1 John. Some of y'all may be taking a sigh of relief. It's been a sweet study. Um, This study, this wonderful epistle from John, was not only for the original audience in the first century church, but for us today. It's just as alive and just as telling for us as it was 1900 years ago, 2000 years ago. As we've seen in the past several weeks, and actually for the last four months, there have been even more gleanings that we can receive from this crop. So we're not done yet. Okay, we've got this week and next week. We'll trust God to help us finish that in, the, in his timing. But God is not finished today with what he wants us to know from this letter. So I'm going to ask you to stick with me. There's going to be a number of satellite passages that I'm going to go to, but our crack media team... If you don't want to turn in the Bible between, for each verse, that's fine. It's going to be up here on the wall. We trust them. They do that in a flawless way, and I really appreciate that. But let me give you an, a map, basically, for the remainder of the morning. So we're going to be reading the verses in chapter 5 of 1 John, verses 13 through 17. Then we're going to begin to unpack the truths that are revealed by the Holy Spirit in these writings. We're going to see clearly the intended audience. We're going to see clearly the message that God wants us to come away with from this passage. We're going to find an assurance of our saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat that. We're going to find an assurance in this passage of our saving relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to examine one specific application point for our lives today and in the future. So if you're able, let me invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we turn to 1 John 5, beginning in verse 13. 
beginning in verse 13 of 1 John 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is a confidence that we have toward him. That if we, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not live, that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. This has been the Word of God. You may be seated. Have you ever been reading in God's Word and wonder, is this passage really pointed to me? Does it, does it have anything to do with my life where I am today? Or it may seem that there's no real clear direction on the audience. I learned early on in my studies with my biblical mentor to ask these following questions about any passage I was reading. The first question is this, who's writing the words? Now we know that God speaks his word. He spoke every word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work. However, we also know that God used men to put these words to paper. So, who was the human penman? Well, we believe it was John, the Apostle John. The second question, who is the audience? The scholars that I've, been, that I've, been, I've seen regarding this question point to the belief that the audience in this epistle, like most, if not all epistles, were written to the first century church. But guess what? It applies to us today here at Cross Point Fellowship in 2022. And we see this, ver we see this pointed out very clearly in verse 13 that it's written to believers, to the church. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's the audience. So if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online, this word is to you, to me, to us today. The third question would then be, what does this writing instruct me to do next? In other words, what is God telling me about my life? What should I glean from this passage in order to live my life in more fullness and in more obedience to his design for me? It's an important point to note that this letter from John is a letter of encouragement. If you had not picked that up yet, get it now. Everything we've studied up to this point has been to encourage us as believers. In fact, one of the, it's the Bible that I use in my counseling ministry all the time. It's called the Christian Counselor's New Testament. 
Dr. J. Adams and a group of his scholars went back to original language, translated that, set it up as a counseling textbook. It's wonderful. But he makes this statement about this passage. 1 John is a handbook on assurance. If you want to know what assurance you have in your salvation with Jesus Christ, you study the book of 1 John. That's what it's all about. So let's dig into this passage this morning, this passage of assurance. In 1 John 5.13, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I want to repeat that. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now in verse 13, as I said earlier, it's important to see who this letter was written to. Not only to believers in the first century, but to you and me today. Those who believe in the name of the Son of God. We've seen that earlier in our studies in 1 John. He did not miss any of us. There's not one name written in the Lamb's book of life that God will miss before Jesus comes back. That's an absolute assurance that we have. It's important here to, to see also that the word know, K-N-O-W, is repeated seven times in the last eight verses of this last chapter. And I want to get back to that later. Okay, so hang on. I'm going to focus this morning for the next few minutes on the assurance that's been revealed to us numerous times through this book so far. Now, there's numerous verses, but I'm going to pick out three just because of time constraint and listening currency so y'all don't give up on me. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 1 John 2, 24 through 25 let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And then 1 John 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Those are three all-important passages that assure us of our salvation. One thing that's always important to do when doing Bible study is to notice repeated words or phrases. The word know, as I mentioned earlier, K-N-O-W, is used 27 times in the book of 1 John. So what do you think God wants us to know? He wants us to know. He wants us to know who he is and what our relationship is. Now that word is used both in the past tense, you know, based on things that have happened. He also uses the word in the present, the future tense, you know, because what I'm going to reveal to you, or what I have revealed to you in this moment. Both of those usages of the words also translate to be sure. And to have no doubt. 
When John states, I write these things, he is speaking not just of the previous few verses, but of the entire letter. So this is a culmination of why he wrote this. He is plainly giving us the key to this, preser to this preserved writing of God through John to give us assurance of our salvation through Jesus Christ and how we can have that assurance. What a blessing indeed that God loves us enough to do that. Because isn't there enough stuff in the world that there's no assurance about? I mean, there really is. But we have this assurance in Christ. Now, his next point to consider is a beginning statement about our assurance through prayer. How we can know that God hears our prayers and how we can know our prayer that faith enables us is effective. In 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have this confidence that, that we get in the Father that if we ask, he hears. Have you ever been in that place? And I think probably most of us have when you may think, and I've heard people say clearly, my prayers aren't effective. God's not hearing them. They don't even go through the ceiling. They, they don't reach God. God tells us he hears us. And in fact, they don't have to go through the ceiling because God is here. He is with us. The Holy Spirit abides within us. And we know that it says in Romans 8 that when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in, in groanings too deep for words. So the Father knows and we have that assurance. Now there's a qualifier in this verse that we must pay attention to. If we ask anything according to His will. That's the qualifier. This is a vital point to keep in mind. Some will take this verse as a permissiveness to ask anything they want. And then they claim, well, because God says he's going to give me anything I want, then I'm going to ask for a new job, or I'm going to ask for a new car, or I'm going to ask for a new house. And they claim that God's going to answer that. But let's go back and look at this. When we consider this condition of that verse, he speaks... Ask anything according to his will. That's the condition. We're going to break that down and see what that means. <clears throat> we know clearly that God is our Heavenly Father. He knows our needs. And he promises to provide our needs. In Philippians 4.19, God says... Through Paul and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We must keep in mind that there is a difference between need and desire. Okay. We can desire a lot of things, but it may not be our need. In fact, God may even provide our desires at times it's a blessing from God but he always promises to supply our needs 
There's a difference. And sometimes our genuine need is not to have our desires. I can think of multiple things that fit in that, but I'm not going to go there this morning. But sometimes our genuine need is not to have our desires. That's something to think about. But guess what he does promise also? He promises to provide the desires of our heart. Psalms 37, verses 3 through 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. As we look into that verse, we see a condition of that promise. The conditions are this, if we trust in the Lord first. Secondly, if we befriend faithfulness to God. If we delight ourselves in the Lord. If we commit our way to the Lord. And if we trust in Him. Then our desire will be ultimately to delight in Him. When we are then desiring a closeness with the Lord. What does He do? He draws us close to him. He provides the desires of our heart. God is talking about spiritual things here. Please keep that in mind. He's not just talking about material things, but he's talking about spiritual things. But see, if we're not careful, our flesh will lead us in directions that we think is desires that we want God to fulfill. And more times than not, he's going to say no. Because that's not asked as he tells us in his will. We must follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as we are praying to make sure that our flesh is not taking us in a direction that we don't need to be going. God is faithful in that. Now to move on to John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Then he says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Again, how many times was the word know used in those two verses? We know, we absolutely know. And the first promise that we see in this is, as we talked about, as I talked about just a minute ago, he hears us, first of all. He hears us, plain and simple. He knows that if we believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and that Jesus is our Savior when we call him Lord, he knows if our request is following the leading of the Holy Spirit and our quest to draw closer to him. So he knows if our our request is driven out of fleshly desire rather than seeking to honor him in our lives, even in a moment of weakness. He knows that, and he answers accordingly. Our knowledge of human experience includes this. Christians do not always receive what they ask for. True? Everybody? Yeah? (laughs) You ask for it, and it doesn't happen. In fact, we don't always ask with the right motives and the right heart. 
That's what we have to examine. We have all of those moments in our life, and yet God knows our hearts and He will provide our needs, as He said. And even when we're asking rightly, and with the right attitude, and with the right heart, sometimes the answer is still no. Because we don't know God's plans. Sometimes there may be an answer of just silence. Have you ever been there? When you're asking, you're pleading, you're searching, you're seeking, even fasting, and God is still silent. <clears throat> Does that mean that God hasn't heard? <clears throat> Not at all. It simply means that it may be a no, not yet. God's ways are above our ways. We must always remember. What God is teaching us in this is to do all of these circumstances, in all of these circumstances, is to live in submission to God and honor His greater wisdom. Sometimes we just have to say, yes, sir, and accept His wisdom. <clears throat> now in Romans 8, 28, another passage to consider in this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And I believe that this is one of the most misapplied and even misunderstood passages that we have in the Bible. So let's break it down bite by bite. First of all, we know. We have an assurance from God. We know. Secondly, we know that for those who love God, and that's for those who believe that Jesus came in the flesh, born of God, and is the Christ, for those who love God, are keeping his commandments. All things work together for good. Now, this is where the misapplication comes in if we're not very careful. Because I've seen so many times, and I've even done it myself in the past. I try real hard not to do it now. But we believe that anything I'm going through, God's going to orchestrate that and turn it for good in my life personally. See, what God is speaking of here is maybe not personal good, but he's speaking of kingdom good. God has a plan, and we may be going through hard things in our life, but that's for God's kingdom good that he's going to exercise and work. We may get to see that good. We may not see that good, but we must trust in God. And the last part is, for those who are called according to his purpose. For every person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life that have called Jesus Lord... They can count on this verse, that regardless of what we go through, regardless of how hard it is, how ugly it is, how difficult it is, God has a plan for kingdom good to come out of that, and we can trust that, even if we never see the good. This is God's design. Now, as we see these two verses together, we see a pattern here from our Father, he gives us what he knows we need. And as a father, he has a design for what he wants us to have. Right? Yeah. Those of you who have children can relate to this. 
You see your children born and they're infants and you, you provide their needs, right? And it's a joy most of the time. Maybe not at 2.30 in the morning when they're crying and they need to be fed. But we still do that and moms do that more than the dads do, okay? I'll, I gave up my man card years ago, so I'm not in jeopardy of anything. So that's just one of the truths. That just is. And our wives love us anyway, and that's, uh, that's whew, I don't know. But we see the development of, in their infancy, and we provide their needs, and we have a joy in that. But what happens when they get older? And they know you, you know them, and they come up and they say, Dad, Mom, I would like to have this. And it's something that you want to give them. And you just pour it out on them. You ever been there? Done that? It is so much fun. Consider what our Heavenly Father does for us. When we come to Him and in right motive, in right heart, express the desires of our heart to be closer to Him, which is what He wants for us, He just pours that out into our lives in abundance, in more than we can even ask. God loves that when we do that. He gladly gives than what we ask for. Now let's think about some of the things that God tells us in Scripture that He wants for us in our lives. Just a few examples. The Beatitudes. Well, that's more than a few, but that's one example. Okay. In Matthew 5, verses 2 through 12. Jesus opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophet who were before you. So we know that when we ask for those things that God wants to give us, what does he do? He gives them to us. But he gives them to us in his timing. May not always be our timing. Or consider in Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is listed. Galatians 5, 22 and 25, through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And because we know that God wants to give us these things as we walk with Him, growing in our love for Him and the desires of our heart, will move toward those things that He desires to give us. And He does so in His perfect timing. That's the truth of these two verses about praying our desire of our heart and Him making provision for us. 
We shift gears a little bit in 1 John 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. See, this is, this is one of those verses that gets skipped a whole lot. But you know what? And as a history at Cross Point Fellowship, we've done expository preaching, starting with the first word of the first verse of the first chapter of a book and going all the way through. So we don't get to skip anything. So we have to dig into this verse that seems troubling. But it's not because of who God is. Now let's dig into this. John once again focuses on our relationship and what it should be to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. First of all, we're to be sharing one another's burdens, sharing one another's hurts, keeping tabs on each other, being so close to each other that if someone starts toward the ditch, somebody's right there to help, them, help bring them back into the center of the road. Now, as has been said in the past, and this is an archaic saying, but trust me, I've got even older sayings than this, but you know, we need people in our grill, right? Right here. That if I'm messing up, someone's going to come get me and bring me back where I belong. That's what God calls us to do. Part of that, keeping each other tuned up, is our fervent prayer for one another. And God says, if you pray for someone who is drifting and in a ditch, he's going to bring them back. Now, he may also use you to bring them back. And that person has life in abundance with God when he straightens his attitude out with God. We all live in those seasons of sin. But God draws us back. That's a promise that he gives us. The next statement is a little bit more difficult in a sense when God says that there is a sin that leads to death. And this, this verse has troubled people for a long time. But here I believe that God is not talking necessarily about physical death. But he's talking about a spiritual death. In other places in 1 John, we've heard about the Antichrist or those that left that were never a part of us. Those who do not have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In fact, there are people who openly reject Jesus as the Messiah. There is no indication that this always means a physical death. But in line with what John has revealed through this epistle, this death is a spiritual death. The rejection of the person of the truth of the Holy Spirit, the person of Jesus, and the truth of the Holy Spirit and the salvation provided by Jesus is the sin that leads to death. It's a spiritual death. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, is a passage that goes hand in hand with this thought. And the author of Hebrews says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, 
and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God in their own, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, this passage, going along with the last part of, of verse 16 that we just saw, is one of those passages that's sometimes difficult to digest. But if we look at it clearly, we see it's not what some people believe that there are some that can lose their salvation. Okay, That's not what this passage is about. Please understand that. The gift of salvation that comes from God is absolute. But there are some people who are in a position to experience but not believe. This passage speaks to someone who had once been enlightened. That means they had been taught the truth of who Jesus is, but they didn't receive it. Why? Because they weren't called by God. They didn't receive that truth. They had been enlightened. They had heard the truth, but they didn't receive it. And it's someone who's tasted the heavenly gift. It speaks of someone that had a morsel dropped on their tongue. But then they spit it out because it was distasteful. That happens because they weren't called by God. The third point is that they had shared in the Holy Spirit. They had seen the power. They had seen the work of God through the Holy Spirit. But they were not saved because they were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They had simply witnessed some things. See, they knew who Jesus was. They could point him out in a crowd. But they didn't have that gnosis, that inner knowledge, that life-changing knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And then they fell away because they were not called. There was no heart-changing knowledge of Jesus Christ. In fact, they had, been, they, had, they had fallen away because they were not part of the elect. They were not part of the people that God had called. They were not chosen by God. Those whom he calls answers. Those not called cannot even know there is a call, much less answer. Now this is the same truth that John speaks of in 1 John 5, 16. The sin that leads to death is the state of being born into original sin and having no call from God, their heart not being prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the truth of who Jesus Christ is. There's no redemption for them. That's the sin that leads to death. The explanation offered by the ESV study Bible is this. The sin that leads to death is probably sin that is unrepented of and is the kind or nature that John has warned about throughout the letter. A resolute rejection of the true doctrine of Jesus, chronic disobedience to God's commandments, a persistent lack of love for believers and all indications of a lack of saving faith. These will not be forgiven. But thanks be to God 
those who believe in Jesus, who have called him Lord, will be saved and are saved. Now the last verse this morning in this, in this passage to look at is 1 John 5, 17. John goes on and says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I could. All right, I will. How many here this morning are sinners? I better see every hand. <laughs> we are. I mean, that's who we are. We're sinners. But that sin does not lead to death. Why? Because of who Jesus Christ is. And when we call him Lord and he is our Savior, we miss that sin that leads to death. We still have sin in our lives. But for those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and those who have asked Jesus to be their Lord, the sin does not lead to death. We're encouraged actually by John, if you go back uh, about four months now, in 1 John 1, 9, John says, If we confess our sins, He, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. See, I, I call this verse our spiritual bar of soap. That's how we get cleaned up. That's how we get cleaned up spiritually by God. We confess and we know that he forgives us and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Because we have that assurance of our salvation through Christ and because of our faith in him, we have that victory promised by the Father through Jesus Christ and our faith in Him. All right, our application for the morning. John speaks of two opposing positions regarding a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The one position, since God is the only and one holy God, there are those not called by God. They're not acted on by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the person who commits the sin that leads to spiritual death, and it's the sin that they're born into from Adam and Eve. The good news, flip side of that. What John has so clearly pointed out, however, to the glory of God that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, called by God and drawn to Jesus, can and do have that assurance of eternal life with God. To recap verse 13 regarding our assurance. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Folks, that's absolute assurance. That's not an if, and, or maybe. It is an absolute assurance that we have eternal life through Christ our Savior. Join me in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for this assurance that you reveal to us in this word, in your word. Thank you for 
putting John in a place to hear from you and him write these words down so that we have them in our lives today. But I thank you for your hearing our prayers. Thank you for providing the desires of our heart. Father, it's my prayer that as a people, we would, we would strive to serve you in every way we can, to draw close to you, to be obedient to your word, to follow your commandments, to share the gospel with those around us, to help us be an example to those who don't know Jesus, who Jesus is in our lives. Father, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.